Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. This week we are looking at the temptation of Jesus. It's funny, I had somebody ask me yesterday, um, hey, what's the scripture passage for this week? Um, I had just left the movie theaters with a buddy, and so I didn't have my notes in front of me. And I, I don't know. I don't. Okay. All right. Anyway, so um, I just gotten out of the movie theater. I didn't have my notes in front of me, and I gave him the right passage, but the wrong passage. Uh, so I gave him Luke four, which is still the temptation of Jesus, and it's still verses one through it's thirteen in Luke, not one through eleven. Uh, So I gave him the right idea, but I technically gave him the wrong book. And I thought it was funny when I got back home and I was like, ah, man, I pulled a knucklehead move. Um, But it was still like the right story. Anyway, I just thought that that was kind of funny. But we're going through the temptation of Jesus. We see here that he is filled with the Spirit and led out to the wilderness. And it's interesting to watch this and consider what's really going on here. He'd just gotten baptized and was getting ready to start his ministry. And he goes through this gauntlet. Let's look at what this gauntlet entails. It says, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, no kidding. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command this, his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. May God add his blessing as we continue in praise and worship. may be seated. Before we dismiss the children... I'm going to pray, and then, then the stampede may happen. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the blessings that you pour out on us each and every day. We thank you for the love and the mercy that you extend to us, and the fact that you never put trials in our way that with your guidance we can't overcome. We lift our eyes to you this morning as our deliverer. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, in the infamous words of Dan Cass, children, you can church.
Yeah, go on. You know, that's one of my favorite sounds on Sunday mornings. That and then happy baby noises. Those are, those are my two favorites. Ah. Ah. Oh, my. You know, something hilarious happened second service last Sunday. We were in here. We were praising the Lord. And Sarah is one of the people on rotation uh, to help sing songs. Uh, we have five different people on our list because occasionally we have five Sundays in a month. Um, and Sarah happens to be the third person on the list. So last Sunday she was singing praises and Dre pops in and he cracks open the door and he shouts, what are you guys doing in here? <laughs> it was hysterical. It was absolutely hilarious. Um, and I think Dan said something like, we're, we're, we're having church, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, okay, and then he just left. That was it. Um, but it's so, it's so good to see such joyful youth, so, so many little kids uh, happy and eager to praise the Lord. And here is a shameless plug, speaking of that, uh, I think we still need more volunteers for the two and three-year-olds. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the door out there, um, just throwing that out there for free. Um, if you love that noise and the cantankerous little munchkins as much as I do, uh, it's a great ministry, and uh, you should feel free to take part in it. Mm. On a heavier note, temptation. Let's talk about it. Everybody struggles with it, right? It might look different for you and for me. We'll get into that in a minute. But Jesus faced some real temptation. And that was how he started his, well, he didn't even start it. That was before he started his ministry. It was like his workplace orientation. Day one, he gets baptized and bam, here he is. Instead of having HR meetings, this is what he had to put up with. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose so. And so this is how Jesus begins his ministry. This is his preliminary training. So I'm breaking this down into three separate, three separate points, as, as any good Baptist sermon would have, right? That's what Dan likes to say anyway. Randy makes fun of him when he has three points. So, uh, Randy, this one goes out to you. But we're going to talk about what temptation is. We're going to talk about why we face temptation. And then we're going to talk about how do we deal with temptation when it's knocking at our door. Exactly. You know... Funny thing about knocking at the door, my dog goes ballistic with any sort of repetitive knocking noise. I don't know why. I don't get that many people coming to my door. You know, we live out in the country. I don't have a doorbell, and I don't have people come over all that often. But anytime there is a repetitive knocking, I can be like knocking on the counter. It could be something on TV where somebody's coming and knocking at the door. My dog loses it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that would be great, especially before the hours of 7 o'clock in the morning, right? I know you could. Uh, I, should, I should make sure I'm not home on April 1st, I guess. I suppose so. But seriously, let's get into what is temptation. What is temptation? It's hard to fight something if you don't know what it is, right? 
One of the first things you do before any sort of event where there is competition or strategy necessary, you study your opponent. Whether it's war, whether it's football, doesn't matter, right? You'll watch old footage of the games and figure out what kind of plays the coach likes to use with their team. Or for some sort of strategic invasion or extraction, extraction, bleh, they'll pull up plans of buildings, they'll take all kinds of pictures, they'll do surveillance to figure out who's around the building, when and where. If we're going to understand temptation and how to fight it, we need to recognize how it works and what it does to us and where it comes from and what it means. So this is what Google says temptation is. This is not Merriam-Webster. This is literally, if you Google the word temptation, this is what Google says. Well, at first I thought maybe they just pull up Merriam-Webster, but they have their own separate definitions now. I don't know. Google's getting scary. But it says the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. It starts with desire. It's not temptation if you don't want to do it. If you've got the proverbial cookie in the cookie jar that you're thinking about taking, for some people, it is way less tempting when you find out those aren't chocolate chips, they're raisins. There are some people who would not steal that cookie. It wouldn't be a temptation anymore. But if that same cookie did in fact have chocolate chips, now all of a sudden, for that crowd of people, there's some temptation there, especially if it's a glass cookie jar and you can see that little cookie and it's looking back at you, calling your name. There is a desire there, something inside of us pulling us towards this wrong or unwise decision. Now, temptation can look like a lot of different things, right? I just put up some of the different things that people are tempted by in the world. It could be money. It could be power. It could be fame. It could be, uh, I, I wasn't going to put up a picture of sex, but I figured, you know, the kissy lips would get the idea across. It could be food. It could be sleep. It could be alcohol. It could be a Pagani Waira in carbon fiber with a tan interior. Uh, it could be a fancy house. <laughs> <laughs> I might have showed my hand there a little bit. Thank you, thank you. It's a, it's a hand-built Italian supercar, um, and all of the bolts are titanium and have the uh, emblem of the company engraved on them. I know. Like I said, it's only a temptation if it's something that we want, that draws near to us. And it's interesting if we think about that, especially looking at this passage, because it just shows how human Jesus is. If Satan is truly tempting him, that means to some degree Jesus wants the things that Satan is presenting to him. If you hadn't eaten for 40 days, some bread sounds pretty darn good, doesn't it? I mean, ribs, yeah, I, I, like, I like good ribs, but I think most ribs are typically pork, if I'm not mistaken, and so for Judaism, that wouldn't work so well. Um, but anyway, 
Some bread would sound pretty tasty. You don't have to push hard to sell me on carbs. I don't know about you guys, um, but bread, pasta, oh yeah, I'm there, man. You don't have to, I don't have to wait 40 minutes, let alone 40 days. You give me a garlic roll, I'm there. Or Texas Roadhouse, the rolls with the honey butter, oh, it's good stuff. Now, Satan is presenting him with this temptation, saying, hey, you've got all the power and authority and whatever in heaven. Just turn these rocks into bread. Of course he's hungry. But then we look at the other two, and those, I think, are interesting. One of them, Satan is tempting him in a very different way. Basically saying, hey, you're the son of God. Let people see it. I'm sure that must have been, to a degree, tempting for Jesus. Letting people see the power and authority that he has as the Son of God. Knowing some of the things he was going to have to endure in life. If you're standing there, looking forward, thinking... I'm going to have to die an incredibly, perhaps the world's most painful death, publicly, butt naked or pretty darn close to it. But maybe if I show everybody, hey, I'm the actual son of God, you know, angels will catch me if I jump off this tall building, they might have a little more respect towards me. They might treat me a little differently. That'd probably be pretty tempting. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't sign up to be crucified, you know, if there, was a, if there was a sign-up sheet for that in the narthex. My name would not be on that. And the last thing he presents Jesus with is the opportunity, if he just worships, worships Satan, to have all of the wealth and all of the kingdoms in the world. One of the things Jesus said to his disciples when he was calling them to follow him was that the Son of Man had no place to rest his head. Jesus was not rolling in the dough. He was not some televangelist, right? He might have had big crowds following him, but he wasn't pushing them to make donations. Exactly, yeah. And the people who were following him, like Kenny said, they didn't even think to pack a lunch, let alone bring extra money. If you remember the feeding of the 5,000, then the feeding of the 7,000, they didn't even pack a lunch. So they, weren't, they clearly weren't filling Jesus' pockets with a whole lot. He was appealing to some of those desires that Jesus had as a man, as a human. I want to encourage you, though. When we're presented with these temptations, even though they're appealing to us, even though it's drawing on the desires of our heart, on the nature of us as humans, as people, we're not alone in that. It says that if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
when you face these temptations, you're not the only person who struggles with those kinds of things. I'm going to pick on Jesse for a minute because I'm so proud of him. He just got back home from rehab where you go and you're with people who have similar struggles and you talk about those things and how to work through those things and how to deal with those temptations. It's real and you're surrounded by a whole group of people where it's obvious what those temptations are. Right here, right now, in some ways, it's more dangerous than that. I don't know everybody's struggles, right? You don't know my struggles. We can come in and we can lie bold-faced to each other, pretending everything is totally okay. That's one of the things I love about the song, Truth Be Told, because it gets real about that. We walk around acting like everything's totally fine, like we got it together, like there's nothing going on, because it's easier than accepting the actual problems. But if we recognize what those problems are and we bring them out to the light and we say, hey, I struggle with this, that shame is gone. There's nothing to be ashamed of when it's already out there, when there's no more secret to it. It doesn't have power over you anymore because that shame can't control you. If you bring what is in the darkness out into the light, there's nothing hidden anymore. When you empty out your closet, there's no more skeletons. But that requires some spring cleaning. And the funny thing is, is when everybody starts pulling out their skeletons, you realize, all of a sudden, Everybody's got problems. We don't, we're not faced with anything other than what's common. We can come together. The sport that I enjoyed most when I played it was lacrosse. And it is very clearly a team effort. It's much like hockey, and I know we have a lot of hockey fans in here. It isn't hockey, but it's a lot like it. And it requires strategy and teamwork, and nobody's quite got the same position. Now, if you are a defenseman or an offenseman, you might rotate through following a certain person if you're doing man-on-man. -man. Or you might switch things up if you are on the offensive trying to take your opponents by surprise. But you're working together, you all have different roles, but you have a unified goal. In a similar way as the church and as the church body, we all have different positions, we all have different gifts, we all have different struggles that make us unique as individuals, but that tie us all together. If we work together to fight these temptations, if we work together as a team and as a church and as a family, we're not alone in it. And there is much better strategy against our opponent. If we can come together as a team 
to fight for one another and with one another in prayer and in support and in encouragement and in accountability, we are going to be much more effective fighting temptation and fighting sin than as a one-man band. If you're trying to be the goalie, a defenseman, a midfielder, and an offenseman all at the same time, I can guarantee you, as a one-person team, you're not going to do so well. There's one team we played when I was in high school, and they were the number one recruiting high school for Duke University. We lost that game 33-3. to Lacrosse is a low-scoring game, like hockey, remember? So a regular game in high school is probably like seven or eight points on either side. We lost by 30 points, okay? They were just way out of our league. I remember in the last quarter when we were down by, I think, 29 points, I remember saying to the guys, all right, guys, let's keep it a 30-point game. Because at some, at some point, you got you to gotta have a goal, right? <laughs> and we did. We kept it a 30-point, barely, but we kept it a 30-point game. But you want your struggle with temptation to be better than a 30-point game, right? Fortunately, unlike my high school lacrosse team, we have the upper hand because we have a triumphant Savior. He already beat sin. I'll give you a hint, guys. I, I know some people do this. When they read books, they'll go back and they'll, lead the, they'll read the last page or the last chapter because they want to know how it ends before they, uh, before they go back and read the rest of it. Well, if you do that with the Bible, there's this book called Revelation at the end. And if you read it, we win. I know, spoiler alert. Oh. At the end, we win. Jesus is already triumphant over Satan. So if we come up with a strategy, we will win. That's like pretty much guaranteed. But we have to have a strategy, and we have to actually fight it. I don't know about you guys, but I know sometimes I will say that I am struggling with sin that I'm not actually struggling with. Because the thing about struggling means you have to be fighting. Sometimes we'll say, oh yeah, I've been struggling with this lately. But really it's more like, eh, I've been letting these temptations win in my life. But I want to at least be honest enough to say that I'm like, you know, not perfect. So I'm going to say that I'm struggling with these things, but I'm not actually fighting them. I know I've done that a few times. We've got to actually fight. We've got to have a team plan. Now, fortunately, we have a great playbook right here. And if we look at how Jesus responds to the temptation, that's where he goes. Now, if you were paying attention, that's also where Satan went. Ooh. That's a spooky thing to sit down and think about. Satan knows God's word well enough to pull it out of context and make it sound good for us. We need to really understand God's word if we're going to stand up against this guy because he's sneaky. So we've talked about temptation. We've talked about what it is. 
I'm going to get into a little bit of the why we face temptation, and then we're going to wrap it up with how we deal with it. So why do we face it? Looking in James, it tells us that when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted. Well, I didn't. Sometimes I do a little underline thing, and I didn't do that for this one. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So temptation starts with us. We have this evil desire in our heart. Might be stealing that last chocolate chip cookie out of the jar. Okay? That, that desire is within us. And it pulls us away. And we think, oh, well, it's just one cookie. Oh, nobody's going to know it was me. I could blame Nigel. Nigel would steal the last cookie in my house if, if, he could, if he could. If it was out there, he would do it. Actually, one of the kids from youth group gave me a drawn colored piece of pizza today and said, here is for the pizza that Nigel has stolen. Because Nigel has stolen multiple slices of pizza in his days as a cat. He's very sneaky about it. You have to hold your plate like a few feet away. He'll hop up on a counter and he'll lean over and he will jump and grab it in the air. Like an, it's, it's great. You'd have to see it to believe it. It's terrifying. <laughs> You're only laughing because this doesn't happen in your house. I've tried the kitchen hose, man. He still goes for it. Not just a sprayer. I mean, I grab him by the scruff of the neck, I bring him to the sink, and I spray him with the kitchen hose in the face directly. And he still goes back for more food. He is, he is feral. He is absolutely feral. That temptation, it drags us away like Nigel is drawn to pizza. And when that happens, it gives birth to sin. That sin is the actual action, right? The temptation is smelling the pizza. It's eyeballing the pepperoni. And that little bit of grease that just kind of shimmers right on top. The actual sin is stealing it, though, for Nigel. You know, for me, if, if I bought the pizza, right, it's my pizza. But for Nigel, it's no bueno. And then, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. There are consequences when we sin, when we act on those desires in our heart. For Nigel, those consequences are that he throws up on my carpet because pizza is not good for cats. Yeah, and then I have to clean it up, right, yeah. Now, fortunately, Jesus, he's there to clean up our sin if we put our faith in him. Huh, yeah. But if we don't recognize and hand over those things to Jesus, that sin, when it grows up, it gives birth to death. Those temptations that start as a feeling, those desires of our heart, they drag us away and they bring us to sin, which brings us to death. I want to warn you guys, the whole world tells you to follow your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. 
and it is full of all of these worldly desires. It will drag you to hell. Do not follow your heart. Thank you. But when we're led by the Spirit, things go differently. But for Jesus, this was a trial. See, this is an interesting thing to really think about. If we look at examples like Jesus being led into the wilderness or like Job, we see that God does put us in these places where we are allowed to be tempted. It's like a, like a forge, right? There's this heat, there's this pressure that is applied to something for a better result. Going back to cars, I know. If you're not wild about cars, I'm sorry. You could think of other things as well, like swords, I suppose. But if you just melt, if you just melt ore into metal and you just fill it in a shape, you will get an object. That could be whatever kind of object you want, right? But I'm going to go with wheels. Wheels on your car, right? You can just get wheels that are, you know, the cheap ones, and that's what they do. But if you want a good, strong wheel that is also more lightweight, you get forged wheels. In a forge, there's pressure that's added to it, and it lines up all the little molecules in the metal, and that heat and that pressure adds strength and lightness at the same time. In a similar way, if we push through this temptation... If we go through that heat and that pressure, we can come out stronger on the other side. So long as we're relying on the Lord and seeking that way out of temptation. So sometimes God puts us in these situations to help us grow, like putting us in a forge. It's compared through in the Bible to smelting as well, burning away the impurities in gold, refined by fire. God sees you as gold with some impurities, some flex. I got a few specks of dirt in, my, you know, in me as we speak, right? We all do. But that's being burnt away. And these are some of the trials and struggles that can help refine us. Or they can help drag us further away. It depends on how you respond to the situation. See, Jesus, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And we see from his own experience, he encourages us to, be, to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. He went through that. He saw that struggle. He experienced that struggle. And he encourages us to pray that we wouldn't have to endure the same struggles he has. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or some translations say the evil one. Sometimes we're faced with it because God wants us to go through a trial, to endure, to come out stronger. But I think that this lead us not into temptation, I think that this is the other reason we can end up facing temptation. 
I think when Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, that is asking us, or that is asking the Lord to deliver us from our own selves, right? Because we're told that temptation comes from those desires in our hearts that pull us away. Sometimes it comes from the devil himself, and it is a forging experience. But sometimes it comes from Brentley being selfish and wanting a Pagani Waira. Now, I'm not going to be able to afford a $2.4 million supercar, and I have accepted this. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there's still a little bit of a desire for that. I'd be terrified. I'd be absolutely terrified of driving one of those things. I'm probably going to settle for a little Model 1 at some point. But um, at the end of the day, that temptation is still slightly there. But that's me, right? Satan has not presented me with a Pagani in my driveway saying, here, Brentley, take the keys. However, there have definitely been situations that I wasn't looking for, but temptation presented itself. A test, a trial. Those are the two situations we find ourselves in with temptation. So how do we deal with it? Whether it's a trial or whether it's something in our own heart pulling us away from what God wants. How do we deal with temptation? When Jesus replied, he answered with Scripture. In all three of the temptations from Satan himself, Jesus replied with Scripture. Two of them are actually from the same passage in the Old Testament. Jesus replied, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Both of those passages come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is where Jesus quotes the greatest commandment of all coming from. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. It's that same passage. Jesus is looking back to a pivotal piece of Scripture during this time of temptation. Another thing I want to present to you is a challenge. Sometimes those trials, they pop up because of unexpected circumstances. I have a friend, and it's not Jesse, but I have, I have another friend who struggles with alcohol. He'd been doing really, really well lately for a long period of time. And on Super Bowl Sunday, he went over to his cousin's house. His cousin's house has been a very safe place for him to go um, his cousin doesn't, you know, keep alcohol around the house, and, and it's, it's just, it's a good, safe place for him. But on Super Bowl Sunday, some other relatives popped by kind of unexpected, and it became an unsafe environment for this friend of mine. And he stumbled because of this temptation that presented itself kind of out of nowhere. 
Now, his cousin didn't know this was going to happen. He didn't know this was going to happen. It was just kind of one of those perfect storms. And my friend succumbed to his struggles that day. It was just a one-time thing. He didn't completely fall off the wagon. But it was a bad day for him, and he was really beating himself up about it. Now, these relatives of his aren't believers. But sometimes we as believers can tempt our brothers and sisters in Christ through our actions. And we are encouraged in Romans to avoid that. Romans chapter 14 talks a lot about some of the different struggles and temptations and convictions that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there's room for disagreement on certain issues. We don't all have to agree in the same exact way. We don't all have to practice in the same exact way. It's one of the beautiful things about being Baptist, right? We encourage, hey, go read the Bible, and we can come back and we can discuss our different perspectives on this same passage and what that means and what that looks like and how we can exercise that. And we can challenge one another with love. But we are encouraged to set aside our own personal convictions in deferment for those around us, to protect our brothers and sisters in Christ from stumbling, to not put other people in a situation where they might be tempted. I want to encourage you to think about people that you know in your life who you care about and some of the things that they might struggle with. For example, you might have a friend who's got a little bit of a short fuse and it's fun to tease them a little bit because sometimes they don't necessarily completely flip out, but sometimes they just get a little bit more agitated than other people and it's fun to get under their skin a little bit and watch them squirm. If they struggle with having a bad temper, you might be tempting them to give in to anger. If you have a friend who struggles with something, don't put them in a situation where they're going to be more likely to fail. That's not loving them as a brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes we need to set aside our own desires, our own convictions, even if it's not something that's wrong, just to protect those around us. It's a team effort, like we talked about earlier. And if you're setting up your teammates to fail, you're not being a good team player. In some sports, like lacrosse and hockey, there's this thing that you can do called setting a pick. So here, Kenny, come on up. So you can literally just stand there, okay? So setting a pick is when you have a defensive player stand quite literally in the way of an offenseman. So if I had the ball and I'm running on stage, Kenny can literally just stand there. And if I'm not paying attention, I will run into Kenny directly. 
And that is the job of setting a pick, to literally get in somebody's way. Thank you, Kenny. To keep you from getting whoever else has whatever. Yeah. Because if, if I wasn't paying attention, I could have run straight into Kenny, like I did, right? And that might make me drop the ball. In a similar way, if we aren't working together as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to be letting one another run into picks all day long. If we don't warn one another, or if we don't make sure that we're living our lives in a way that prevents those things from coming up, we're going to be pushing people right into those situations. Paul uses the term stumbling block or obstacle. Something to trip over. If we are going to work together as a team, we need to communicate those things. If you see something like that getting in the way of a brother or sister in Christ, warn them or move it out of their way. We can rely on Scripture and on working together as the family of Christ to resist temptation. We are told, resist the devil and he will flee. At the end of the passage where Jesus is tempted, Jesus tells Satan to leave. And guess what he does? He leaves. Yeah, he will come back. He won't leave forever, unfortunately. That'd be great, right? There's a point that my dad liked to make when talking about Satan and temptation. When we think about the qualities of God and how powerful God is, how big he is and how strong he is, we know that God is everywhere. Guess who does not have that same ability? Satan. Now, he might have thousands or millions or billions of demons. I don't know the specific number. I just know he got about a third of them. But he isn't literally everywhere all at once. And he is not the most powerful being in the universe. That doesn't mean he's not powerful. But we have someone more powerful on our side. Resist the devil and he will flee. We got to fight together. We got to fight for ourselves. And if we're going to fight, I want to encourage you just like Jesus did, to use the one weapon we're given. When you look at the armor of God, there is only one weapon. Everything else is defensive material. The one weapon we're given is the sword of the Spirit. So if you're going to fight, don't come unarmed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for the fact that you endured temptation just like we do each and every day, and for the fact that we see through your example that we can stand up to temptation, 
that we see through your word that we can rely on you and on each other to resist Satan. And that if we do, he will flee. God, we see the humanness that you put in Jesus. That he struggled the same way you and I and all of us do. And we thank you that you gave us a high priest who understands what we've been through. Who knows those temptations. And proved to us that through you, we can overcome them. God, I pray for anyone here who felt convicted this morning because they know that they've got struggles. I am nearly certain that there's someone in this room right now who's had some struggle for years that they've been fighting, that they feel helpless against. But Lord, there is hope in you. God, I pray that you help us to seek that, to seek you, to seek accountability and encouragement with one another, to draw near to your heart. Lord, much like if, you, if we resist the devil, he will flee, you tell us that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to our hearts. And I pray that if there's anyone here who's not drawn near to your heart yet, but is seeking that deliverance, that they would give themselves up for you. God, we lift up this prayer in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.